everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lessons Learned Podcast, the dumbest thing I've ever done with money. My name is Suzanne, and I'm the head coach at Grace Financial Coaching. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you, Suzanne. Yes, awesome. Thank you. Uh, I love spending. I love spending time with Julie. She's just a breath of fresh air. So I also can't wait to hear uh, the dumbest thing she's ever done with money. But Julie, before we get to that, tell me a little bit more about your lending practice. Yeah. So I work with the Gaylord Hansen team at Loan Depot currently, and we do home lending. And I've actually been doing this for over 30 years now. And so it's really evolved into now we spend a lot of time just doing education courses and broadcasts and so forth as well, just to help coach people. Because just as you believe, we believe that financial stability and so forth comes from the broader uh, picture of finances, not just home ownership, but we do believe that home ownership plays a big role in that package and that picket, you know, just creating wealth for yourself over the long term. So, yeah. yeah. You are- very passionate about this. What are some of the other uh, topics that you feel very strongly about with, when it comes to the education portion? Yeah, absolutely. Is uh, budgeting. So I've been able to refer people, you know, your direction as well to help with the budgeting. And I think too, even just changing of heart around finances. We've talked about some estate planning with some of our courses. Uh, and just really looking at what does it take, how to plan for a home purchase so that people have that advanced information so they can you know, know if their goal is to buy a home in six months to a year or they can start that planning process so that they're in the best position to get the best payments and the best home of what they're looking for. So we've covered credit, you know, looking at how to improve credit to put themselves in the best position. Again, having better credit scores can help lower your interest rates and your payments, but also, which also helps with the budgeting process. So all of it kind of intertwines together. Yes, definitely. Let's go back to what you just said about the mindset and the heart behind money. What do you, when you meet with people and what you can tell that they're not quite ready, what does that look like? Yeah. So a lot of times when people aren't ready, they have a, a, a thought process or a mind or idea of what they want. And it's still working its way into their actual actions and their habits. So just taking that time to also talk to them about what is really possible. Because I think even sometimes when I talk with folks, it's, it's something they're thinking about, but they're not sure it's even possible for them. And as we go through the process of what is needed, what it would look like, how that home ownership uh, turns into an investment over time compared with paying rent, it, I think, increases the motivation level, but it also allows them to look at that it's really possible, that it is possible for them and turns that dream into becoming a reality so that then they are ready to take action and actually put a plan into place that they feel they can achieve and that they can actually do because now they can see that end result rather than just something that's up in the air out there that they're just not sure about. Right. And now then checking in and doing a periodic check-in, right? It's accountability. How is it going? How is the credit? Have you been able to make some of the phone calls you needed to make? Things like that. Yeah, now it's much more concrete, right? Now it's actually something they can they can visualize and wrap their brains around versus Oh, it would be nice to own a home in California one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> That's so great, Julie, especially in this particular market, right? Actually, give us your opinion on the market right now. We're recording this in August of 2021. It's kind of a weird time in our country's history. So what is your opinion on the market in general right now? Well, you know, we've certainly seen a huge appreciation rate over these last few years. And really, it goes back to even 2012 that we have been seeing uh, pretty decent size appreciation rates. And what we are hearing still from all the different economists is that they anticipate this to still continue at least for another year or two. We still have strong demand. There's a lot of first time buyers that are still wanting to get into their own home. Um, you've got the government that may be putting into additional incentives for first-time buyers to get into a home. And we also are still seeing a large volume of investors purchasing homes in the marketplace. And typically, you know, you usually see when the market starts to make a shift, the investors go away. And we haven't seen that in the least yet. So there is no signal or sign from the investors slowing down. I would almost say we're continuing to see them just really put pressure, um, which means no inventory. And that means values continuing to rise. Yes, yes. Low inventory is, I think, something every, it doesn't matter where you are, California or South Dakota, it's it's difficult right now to get into what it may be exactly what you want to get into for sure. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's looking to sell right now? Well, I think you have to look at what your overall plan is for your future, because I truly believe more than ever how important it is to own your own home right now, to have your own place that you can have your family and just be safe and call your own that no one can kick you out of or raise your rent on. And so with that in mind, if you're thinking about selling, if you already have that next home lined up or, you know, you have that plan, then great. You know, there's so many people that are actually moving areas and moving states with working from home or retiring and so forth. That's all fine and good. And really selling and buying, it doesn't matter what market you're in, you're going to have the same kind of return, so to speak. However, if you're just selling, which I've heard a few people say this, that they're going to sell and then wait a year to buy, thinking that home values are going to go down. And that I, I have a tough time actually believing is going to happen. I mean, I think that home values probably will rise a little bit more. And we could be seeing interest rates rise as well. So that home may be much more expensive another year down the road if you're thinking that you'd sell and wait for something cheaper, I just don't see that really happening. So yeah, um, selling I, time to sell, but it depends on what's next for you. So, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. The, the, it might be, it might very well be time to cash in on your property that you're selling, but it's probably not the best time to go from owning to not owning. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wish I had a bunch of rental properties. I might consider selling a couple of those, you know, so those, you know, there are opportunities for selling that could make sense, but yes, yeah. Yes. One of my, one of my friends just did that. They had a, a rental property that they really enjoyed owning, but you know, with younger kids, it was just not, you know, good with the, for their time management at this point. And they've taken the opportunity to sell it and it sold immediately. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's a great, that if you're in that position and, and that's something you want to off right now, I think that, like you said, that's a great move. So, yeah. so Julie, I created this show to help other people realize that while we all make financial mistakes and while we might be the financial experts now, <laughs> we've all had these types of experiences that others can learn from. So Julie, what is the dumbest thing you've ever done with money? Well, so I've I've generally been pretty good with money for the basics, right? I I got into the lending industry at 19 years old and so I really learned about credit and managing money at a young age. However, some of the things that happened to me, one in particular was that when there was some excess funds um, during some of the the good years, I turned to, you know, I would go to a lot of different seminars and events and they're all selling different things that that make you think that invest here and you're going to, you know, triple your investment and just a lot of potential probably scams that were going on um, at some of those different groups. So one in particular I chose to buy into, which was a class to just learn more about investing in mobile home parks that were in places like Alabama and Oklahoma and some of those Southern mid-states. And I thought, well, this could be a little bit of a diversification for us because everything we have and do is in California and San Diego area. And the, But the reality was, so we, we paid a bunch of money to this group to learn about it and invest in this. And then of course, they're really nowhere to be found. They're, they're really, the information that we would receive from them was very, very limited. They were not helpful. They did not provide much information and there was no investment into actual parks or things like that. And partially, I feel like I was to blame because I was so busy at the time that I didn't have the time to truly pursue and dig and and just follow up to the detail that could have been done to hold them accountable as well. And so I, I feel like it, it really was silly for to spend that much money investing into something that I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know whether I could trust them or not. I was just handing over money and I didn't have the time to work, to, to understand it, to research it, to, to learn about it. And I think really when you're at a place where you can take some of the little extra money that you might have during a good month or good year, it's still important to really understand what you're going to turn and invest that in because that money was just gone. It mm -hmm. was just gone. So yeah. It definitely, really I think that's a great lesson because you need to do your due diligence with that kind of stuff. Right. And you just, you know, I think you really, really summed it up when you said you were so busy at that time. Right. And I think that's actually not necessarily a financial lesson to be learned. It's like an adult lesson to be learned. <laughs> we're being pulled in so many directions of, you know, all these other things. And then all of a sudden it's like, we get one more thing put on our plate and we think we can handle it. Right. It's, it's right. the wisdom to know when we are, have reached max capacity. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people get, you know, the other thing, the other reason a lot of people invest in things they don't understand is because they, they might not understand it, but they also don't want to miss out. Yeah. And so it's this, you know, it's the, what FOMO, right. <laughs> 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 miss out on something and they're like, well, 
you know, I see these other smart people investing in it. And I just, you know, I, I don't know enough, but I'm going to do it anyway, kind of thing. And we've all been caught in that situation, whether it's something like this, where there's real estate, right? Investing in something as large as possibly real estate or mm-hmm. multi-level marketing. You know, how many times yeah, have you gone yeah. to one of those parties and you're like, oh, sure, I'll I'll buy this. And then you're like, ah, oh, shouldn't have bought that, even though it was only $80 or whatever it was, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. And there was something else you had mentioned, and I do definitely want to bring this up also, because I think this other item that you had mentioned is another, you know, a lot of these conversations I have, these are very basic things that we do as human beings that we, we can, that everyone experiences, right? Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. your comment about your retirement, because I am very guilty. Of, I'm guilty of this now of not checking on it enough now. So tell me what your thoughts were on your retirement. Yeah. So I feel like one of the other big mistakes that I've made in my lifetime is that I, again, I was taught at an early age to invest into your retirement account And I did, I have invested into my retirement accounts from the moment I was working as an adult. But what I failed to do is to stay up on those accounts and pay attention to them and make sure that they were being managed properly and make sure that they were being held with groups or people that I could trust and make sure that they were growing and doing what they're supposed to do for your retirement. And it was, I mean, probably 20 years into it. I'm, you know, you look at, you're always hearing the 72 rule of just how your, your investment should be growing and multiplying over each seven years and so forth. And I was, we look back at my accounts and I pretty much had what I put in. There was almost no growth. And, and it was very humbling to go, oh my gosh, you know, here I thought I was doing what I should do. And yes, it was still good. I at least put that money aside. But there's so much that I missed out on by not actively managing the account of paying attention, checking the returns. And so really, and and then about 10 years ago, I was able to get connected with a very good financial planner. And They call and we meet once a year, we review the accounts, we review what is going on with the economy. And it's been an amazing 10 years on the account versus zero growth for 20 years. And so really just doing that annual, I think, checkup, scheduling it into your calendar and just committing some time to do that will allow you to at least pay attention to what's going on and know if you need to make any changes with the account and and certainly talk to people you know and trust with money to see who they might be working with rather than someone random or someone just online. You want to make sure someone's looking out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you could go back on the retirement aspect, you know, a lot of times I talk to people and they think, well, we don't have enough money to work with a money manager or a financial advisor or a financial planner or whatever you want to call them, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever license they have. Do you think you would have continued to self-manage for maybe five years, 10 years, the whole 20 years and just double checked on it? Or do you think you would have reached out to a financial advisor earlier? 
I think I would have reached out to a financial advisor earlier because I there's different advisors out there. Some, yeah, do have limits of, you know, having a certain amount in your portfolio for them to manage your account. But there's others that don't have that requirement or there's a lot of groups that will do just a consultation where you pay them by the hour. And initially it sounds expensive, but it's way more expensive to not have any growth on your money for 20 yes. years. Yeah. So, so it's true. worth still paying someone for an hourly rate and take a couple hours of their time to just really sit down and, and gain their knowledge because that's what they're doing day in and day out. I'm not paying attention to how the bonds are working against the stock market to whether it be small cap or large cap. I'm looking at interest rates. I'm looking at homeownership for folks. I've got my area of expertise and knowing all the ins and outs with the market is not my expertise. No, right. And I tell people that all the time that it's, you really need an expert. You know, yeah. it, you know, do I, I have a financial advisor I would refer somebody to if they have $30,000. I have a financial advisor I would refer someone to if they have $300,000. Yeah. I actually have a financial people I would refer them to if they had $0. And they, right. they had just figured out how, okay, I'm finally at a point where I can start an IRA. You know, I have, mm -hmm. we have these different levels, like you said, of financial advisors and planners who can help people at all stages of the game. Uh, and it's, mm -hmm. to me, it's, it's invaluable to have that, that personal professional, you know, expert watching that stuff for you. Cause like I just said, I'm guilty of not going in there more than twice a year sometimes, unless I shoot my, my financial advisor an email and ask him something. <laughs> if it's not what we're an expert in, if it's not what we're spending our day, like you said, I, I don't know how the bond market is performing at this very second. I have no idea. <laughs> Yes. So, and still go so, back to finding someone you can trust because you can also be at risk of someone yes. taking advantage if they don't really know you and they're not looking out for your best interests. So you still have to do your due diligence and, and that connection or that introduction from someone. That yes, you can't definitely. And I actually, when I refer those people, I actually still send along an interview guide. And I say, listen, I, I trust this person. I have either used this person or I trust okay. this person with your particular set of circumstances, but here's an interview guide just in case. And I really want you to sit down and interview this person. What just a great because, tool. That is awesome. Just because your friend refers them doesn't mm -hmm. mean that's the right person for you. Mm -hmm. it, it might be that we've got a personality clash or you don't feel like the person is taking the time to explain things as well as, you know, maybe your friend immediately was, was, you know, uh, understood what they were going for, but maybe you're just taking a little more time and you're like, I really want to have somebody who's going to sit down and explain this more to me. So just because they work for your brother-in-law and your friend doesn't mean it's going to be the right person for you. So yeah, interviewing I think is key. And I, I tell people do the same thing with real estate agents as well too. Sometimes they'll mm -hmm. just get a real estate agent because somebody referred them and it might not just might not be the right fit for you. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So let's go back to the the real estate seminar that you had invested in. What would you do differently when it came to that? Well, I wouldn't have given them the money on the spot because it was it was a more of an emotional excitement quick decision. So I definitely would not have just written out a check for that large sum of money so quickly. I would have 
And, you know, and it's funny because this is really true about any large purchase, right? Don't they? I mean, it's one of the things we've been advised is when it comes to a large purchase, not to make a quick emotional decision, but to actually take the time to sleep on it, think about it, and then make sure that this is still something that you want to do. Trying not trying to delay that instant gratification, right? And it was true for that too. So I think what I would have done differently is gone home, slept on it, done some research about the group, maybe even made some phone calls to see what I could learn from maybe anyone who has worked with them before and, and just done a little bit more due diligence on it first. And odds are probably if I had waited even, you know, three, four days to make that decision, I don't think I would have done it. So. Right, right. I know. I actually learned that from my grandmother, not Dave Ramsey, the want versus need thing that if it's, yeah. uh, if it really is a need and you know, the example that yes, Adrian, so true. Adrian says wise words, sleep on it overnight and take the emotion out of it. Very true. The, my grandmother did the whole want versus need thing. And the example she always used was buying a sweater. And if you go to the store and the sweater is there, and it's more than you want to spend because she was a thrift shopper. She was a sale rack shopper. <laughs> Go home and sleep on it. And if you're still thinking about the sweater the next day, and if it's still at the store and you have the money in the budget, right? You have right. the money, but you might, you know, maybe I shouldn't spend $70 on it. Maybe I really only want to spend 30, but I'm really thinking about it. And you go back the next day and it's still there, then you're allowed to buy it. But until that, <laughs> until you have slept on it and decided it's something you really don't want to live without, yeah. it's probably, and then most of the time you wake up the next morning and you're not even thinking about it, right? right. Exactly. Right. Thanks again to our guests for their honesty and for sharing their financial blunders with us. Join me again next week for another episode of Lessons Learned Podcast, the dumbest thing I've ever done with money. Make sure to subscribe to the Grace Financial Coaching YouTube channel and please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts.